all of us encounter death. All of us encounter death. Death of a loved one, death of a family member, death of a friend. Our own death, we'll all face our own death unless Jesus comes sooner. Last night, we had a good friend call us whose father passed away. And sometimes death is tragic, sometimes it's challenging, it's difficult, but it's always hard even when it's not tragic. I remember when Don Lease passed away, Don was a friend of mine, his wife had worked up at Fair Havens for a number of years, and he was a firefighter and a farmer, he was 52, and one morning he just didn't wake up. His 17-year-old son heard the alarm of his dad going off, and he went in the room to wake his dad up, but his dad couldn't wake up because his dad had passed away during the night from a medical condition they couldn't explain. He was fit. He seemed healthy. And that was hard. I remember when Kay Yablu, a young man from the Karen community, you may have read about this in the papers, he was shot three times on our street, in the streets of Hamilton. And then the vehicle that, with the young man that had shot him, ran him over to make sure he was dead. Later on, when they were arrested, those three young men, it was discovered that though they had targeted Kayab Blue, that he actually wasn't the person they were after. They had mistaken identity. They had killed the wrong person. The family, so horrified that they would come after them next because that's what would happen in Burma, that they left and moved the day after he was murdered, abandoned everything and just moved away. I took that funeral, what a hard funeral to take. I remember taking the funeral of a young woman whose husband had passed away a number of years ago. Her children were 17 to 23, and she ended her life by suicide on her daughter's birthday. Death is hard, and sometimes it's tragic. My grandfather, Oren Burpee, went here. He was 94 years old when he passed away. It was 2016. Godly man, loved Jesus deeply. I remember being in the, what do you call the lower auditorium, whatever that, fellowship, pardon? Fellowship Hall for his funeral. John Mahaffey and I took it. I took the funeral part, John took the committal, and it was a wonderful celebration of my grandfather's life. But it was still hard. We gathered last night at my house as our family. We celebrated a number of birthdays, and I thought of my grandfather who at one time would have been there and, of course, now can't be. When Jesus was here, he faced death. Not just his death, but the death of others. And so as we continue in this series on encountering Jesus, I want us to take a look for a few minutes today on how Jesus encountered death. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 1. Death is always hard. Sometimes it's tragic. How did Jesus respond? Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Martha, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death, no, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You find Jesus engaged with Mary and Martha and Joseph in the other Gospels, but 
This is the first time we see them in John's Gospel. So we know that he's already had conversations with them. He's already met them. In fact, it says that he loves them. They're good friends. But this is the first time they're mentioned in the Gospel of John. And Martha and Mary know that their brother's sick, and they know that Jesus can heal people. And they're close. They're friends. They're in each other's homes. Well, Jesus is in their home. And, and visiting time to time. And so they send word, knowing that he's healed numbers of people. And he doesn't come. He's not far away. I mean, Bethany is just a few kilometers from Jerusalem. And Jesus yet says that his death, Lazarus' sickness, will not end in death, but he dies. What he's saying is that it will not be ultimately fatal because there'll be a greater purpose. This is Mary and Martha, where in Luke 10, you find Martha at the feet of Jesus, where... Uh, Mary, sorry, at the feet of Jesus while Martha is busy preparing. Well, verse 6, So when he, that's Jesus, heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days and said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, yet you want to go back. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble and have no light. So Jesus says, let's head back to Judea. They're reminded the disciples, Rabbi, when we were there, this is John 10, I looked at this a couple of weeks ago, they tried to stone you. They tried to kill you. Is this really what you want to do? You're a wanted man there. People would like to kill you. But what does Jesus say? There's 12 hours of daylight. When you're walking in the daytime, you don't stumble. We've all done this, right? You know a path. You walk through it constantly during the day. You don't stumble. At one point, you're going at night thinking you know it, maybe even in your own house, and yet you are convinced someone moved the table because it wasn't there before, but it was. You know. You've done it, right? Who moved the table? You turn on the light and realize no one did. You underestimated where the table was. Jesus says, when a person walks at night, they will stumble, for they have no light. The three themes of John are found here in John 11. Light and darkness, the I am's, and believe. Those are the three themes of John. That you would believe that he's the son of God. The I am's, all the I am's are found in the gospel of John. And the light-darkness theme. Think of John 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. You see it right there. Light and darkness. You see it in John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke to the people again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never be in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is letting his disciples know that he is the light, and that though Lazarus is sick and dying, that the light of God is about to shine through powerfully. Verse 11, after this, Jesus went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. 
Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. Did you catch that? You're going to see that a number of times in this text. So you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with Jesus. Now this is not a statement of doubt. This is a statement of courage. Thomas says, if Jesus is going to die, I'm going with him. Come along. If Jesus' life is about to be taken because he's going back where people are hostile toward him, I'm going as well. Jesus has said that Lazarus has died. First he says asleep, but then he comments to the disciples, well, he's dead. When I'm saying asleep, I mean dead. I'll explain that later. And I am going there for your sake so that you will believe. So verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. They're there weeping, they're there crying, they're there mourning. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. There's a reason why John tells us that Lazarus was in the tomb four days. When Jesus raises Jairus' daughter to life again, she had only just died. And lots of people would say, what Jesus did was he resurrected her. That we thought she was dead, and she wasn't. And in all the other accounts in the gospel of Jesus raising people to life again, they all had just died. But not Lazarus. Lazarus was in the tomb four days. When Jesus is at the wedding of Cana and he's turning water into wine, and his mom asked him to come and to help because they've run out of wine, what does he say? My time has not yet come. That language in John is always used of, I'm not ready for the cross yet. I'm not ready for the cross yet. But at this point, Jesus wants everyone to know who he is, that he's God the Son come down, and they want him to know how powerful he is, that he can raise someone who's even been decaying in a tomb. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that people are sometimes thought to be dead and yet aren't. It happens. In fact, I googled it this morning. It happened last month in the UK. A teenager was pronounced dead. And as the paramedics were taking him to the hospital, he woke up. That's a bad pronouncement. <laughs> like somebody's in trouble. It's, it said in the article, it said, there's no comment on, on the employment of the paramedics at this time. I think of Texas. This is Jose Estrada. He was 48. He was diagnosed with diabetes. So he decided to take up running. Drives to a trail. Starts on his run. Right? As he's on his run, another man on the trail dies. The only thing the man has on him who dies is a set of keys. And when they go to the parking lot, that set of keys, click, click, opens up Jose's truck and probably the other man's, but they didn't catch that. So they assume Jose has died. They call his wife, Alinda, who told him not to start running at his weight. She's upset. She calls her boss. She leaves a message for her boss. 
She goes to the hospital. She identifies his body. The families come, and they're grieving in a room. Jose finishes his run, gets into his truck, gets some groceries, goes home. And as he's home, the, the phone rings. He answers the phone, and it's his wife's boss saying, Jose, you're dead. And he's like, what are you talking about? Your wife called me and said, you died running this morning. He drives to the hospital. He walks in the room. He says, surprise, I'm alive. And his wife passes out onto the floor. <laughs> and so I turn to the great scholar from the Princess Bride, Miracle Max. It just so happens your friend here is only mostly dead. There is a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. Jesus wanted everyone to know Lazarus is dead. He's decaying in a tomb. Lord, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, had you been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha offers a statement of faith. She's not doubting Jesus. She said, had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's not an accusation. She's just stating the fact. And she believes that her brother will rise again on the last day. She believes in resurrection. She says in verse 22, I know that you can ask God for whatever you want. It's a statement of faith. She knows Jesus has intimacy with the Father. But note what she says, I know he will rise again on the last day. Even though Martha has just said that Jesus can ask the Father for anything, she has no concept of resurrection until the end of time. She has no concept that there could possibly be resurrection in time. In time. Jesus said to her, I am resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? No, belief just three times in that statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, they will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Think of John 1. It'll be on the screen. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I looked at Jesus and Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 20. Look at this on the screen. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but they are written down so you may... Did you see that? John wrote his gospel so you may believe. He says it right in John 20. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Did you see the three themes? Light and darkness, belief, and Jesus saying, I am resurrection and life. So what is belief? Belief is turning for whatever you have trusted turning for whatever you've put your hope in, turning for whatever you think will give you life, and turning to Jesus Christ instead. 
It's turning from that which you thought would give you life, which you thought would bring you hope. It's turning from that which you thought would be why you should live. And it's recognizing that there is not life or hope in whatever that was, your job, your career, a great family. Whatever it is that you thought would ultimately bring you life, retirement savings, and turning to Jesus Christ because only he can give life. Only he can give life. Belief is believing in him. I remember when I took K.R. Blue's funeral, the young man who'd been shot three times and run over. All through translation, the young people all spoke English, but the parents didn't. I was there, I remember being at the home with the police, social workers, and it's, it's in their culture, I mean, three generations, four, living in a home together, a three-bedroom home, 17 of them living in it. In the living room and dining room, they had bunk beds so that everyone could be there, and I remember coming into the living room area, and because I'm a pastor, the 80-year-old grandmother gets up who's sitting comfortably so I can sit, and even though I've tried numbers of times to say, no, 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 I will sit on the floor. I will stand. It's insulting to do so. And walking with the family through this, I remember saying to the mom, as I offered my condolences, that this is so hard because the hardest thing a parent can ever do is bury a child. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor, you're wrong. I mean that respectfully. She said, the hardest thing a mother can ever do is bury her child who she knows hasn't believed in Jesus. Because she said, I'll never see him again. I will never forget that moment. Verse 22. Yes, Lord, Martha replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Did you hear her confession, her statement of faith? Yes, I believe you are the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are the one who's been promised. You are the one we have been anticipating. You are the one of whom the whole Old Testament has spoken. You are God the Son. You are the Son of God, and you've come into the world. Did you catch what Jesus said earlier? It's so important. Jesus didn't say, I have the power of life and resurrection. What did he say? I am. I am life. I am resurrection. As Martha and Jesus are having this dialogue about resurrection and her admitting that she believes that Lazarus will be raised on the last day, Jesus says, you want to know what resurrection is, Martha? You want to know what life is? You're standing in his presence. You're standing in the presence of life. You're standing in the presence of resurrection. That's who our Savior is. That's whom you believe in. When you trust Jesus, you are believing in life. You are believing in resurrection. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly. She went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Martha in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn. And they would have followed her to mourn with her at the tomb. When Martha reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
She fell at his feet and said, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews and the Jews who had come along with her were weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid them, him, they, he said. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus gets to his friends, to whom, whom he loved, and he weeps. Why? He knows he's going to raise him to life again. He's already said it. He knows he's about to bring him back. Why is he weeping? I don't believe this was just a weep of sorrow, though I believe there is sorrow here as he's grieving the loss of his friend. I believe Jesus is enraged and is weeping. Weeping isn't just shedding a tear. It's a wailing. I believe Jesus in his, ah! He's enraged at death. He's enraged at sin. He's enraged at Satan. You know, I have people that tell me all the time that you need to be at peace with death. You do not ever need to be at peace with death, ever. You need to be at peace with God. But death is an enemy that God will one day vanquish into the lake of burning sulfur. You do not need to be at peace with the enemy. One day there will be no more death because of the victory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to be at peace with God, but you can hate death till the day you see Jesus face to face. He's going to cast it out. It is great news. So when you're bringing your condolences to someone, you can pray that they'll be at peace with God, but don't be, pray they'll be at peace with death. They can be angry with death. I remember being with Scott Jacks. He and his wife started Goodness Me the day he passed away just a few months ago, and his family, and as they gathered, I talked about this. He had Alzheimer's. It was awful. The last time I saw him, he didn't know who he was, let alone who I was. And I said to them that day, you can be angry with Alzheimer's. You can be angry with death, but oh, be at peace with God. Because one day he will cast Alzheimer's and death out. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. He's been there four days. See, that's how you know earlier in the text. When Martha says, I know God will give you whatever you want, she's not thinking resurrection. What are you doing? Move away the stone. This is going to be awful. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you, you will see the glory of God. When we stood at my grandfather's committal, lowering his body into the grave, John Mahaffey took the committal. I will never forget this. Some of you know him. Um, John said this, and I'm sure he has said it at many funerals here, but I had never heard it before. He said, we think we're in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying. He said, we are in the land of the dying and we are going to the land of the living. You see, our hope one day is not that we will see our loved ones. It is not. If your hope one day is that you will see a loved one, you have misplaced your hope. Your hope is that you will see Jesus. And because you will see Jesus, anyone who has believed in him, including your loved ones, 
you will see. Our hope is not in being reunited with loved ones. Our hope is Jesus Christ. And because of him, we will see those that are in him. They took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. You've caught that word now, right? When he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen, linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take the grave clothes off of him. Let him go. This is why Jesus said Lazarus was sleeping. It's just as easy for Jesus to raise someone from the dead as it is for us to wake up someone who's asleep. It's just as easy for Jesus to raise up someone from the dead as it is for us to raise up or to wake up someone who's asleep. But I don't know. I, I don't know where Lazarus was. This is one of the questions I have in eternity. Lazarus, where were you those days? Like, I don't believe in soul sleep, but did God let you do that? Or, like, were you in his presence? And then all of a sudden, like, God was like, the Father was like, sorry, man. You're going back. And Lazarus is like, what? Right? I don't know. I have no clue what was going on there. And all of a sudden, Lazarus is back, and he's alive. But Lazarus was going to have to die again. Lazarus was raised to life to die again. But there is one who will shortly die, Jesus Christ. And he will be raised by the Father on the third day. And he will never die again. He's going to return one day. Is that not good news? The trump will sound, the clouds will part, he will descend. And sometimes when we think of the wedding supper of the Lamb, we think of this solemn ceremony where it's going to be like, please pass the potatoes and the stuffing. Last year, I am not a sports fanatic. I do not know sports. Last year when the Toronto Maple Leafs won round one, I thought they'd won the Stanley Cup. The celebration was so immense. Like, people, pick a winning team. And, and all they had done was one round one. And Toronto, and the celebration was immense. Listen, one day the trump will sound. One day the cloud will part. One day he will descend. You will be in the presence of Almighty God. And because of the accomplished work of his son, because on the cross he took the cup of wrath, so that this morning you could drink the cup of joy. You will be in his presence. He will declare you innocent because he will see his son, because you have believed. Praise his name. But then more than that, you will be cloaked with immortality. You will have your resurrected body, and you will be there in glory having been declared innocent in your resurrected body as Jesus is taking sin and Satan and death and casting them out forever and ever, amen, not just from his presence, but from ours. And in that moment, the king who could treat us as subjects, the great shepherd who could treat us as sheep, will welcome us in as his bride into the wedding supper of the Lamb. And I believe in that moment there will be applause and celebration and feasting and dancing. And I believe in that moment we will be cheering our God who just took sin and Satan and death and cast them out because he is the victor, the Messiah, God the Son. That is who he is. 
and we have believed in him on his name. That's whom we believe. It is the good news of the gospel for anyone who believes. And so this morning, who is this table for? It's for anyone who's believed. If you haven't believed this morning, I'm going to be sitting right here up at the front. And if God has spoken to you this morning over the last few weeks, and you want to trust Jesus as Savior, I would love to pray with you. I would love to just spend a few minutes with you and talk to you about the Savior that I and so many of us in this room know who would love to save you today. And if you're saved today as we transition to this table, we are reminded that Jesus on the cross drank the cup of the wrath of the Father so that I could drink the joy of the Son, my Savior. If you're not a believer today, I encourage you to take the elements and let them pass by you. But if you are a believer today and you're walking with the Lord, I encourage you to take these elements and to celebrate Jesus. The Bible tells us that we're to examine ourselves as we do so. Can I just recommend this this morning as you examine yourself? Can you take a few moments as you do so and thank God for the work that Jesus has done in your life? Thank him for his salvation. Thank him for his grace. Thank him for his love. Thank him that he has defeated sin and Satan and death and one day they will be vanquished from his presence forever. And I believe on that day, on the wedding supper of the Lamb, after we have been declared innocent and been granted our resurrected bodies, and the celebration is being cast in front of us as we are watching sin and Satan and death cast out, that there will be a feast that you have never experienced because you are on the winning team. Jesus, God the Son. We are thankful for this incredible gift, Lord Jesus Christ, of life that you grant to any who believe. God, we're thankful this morning that you would send your Son, and Jesus, we're thankful that you would come, that you would live among us, that your body would be broken, that your blood would be shed. And so as we pause right now to celebrate who you are, Jesus, and to rejoice in what you've done. I pray for anyone in this room who has not yet believed that you would bring them to a point and place of belief. And for those of us who have believed, oh God, may we celebrate, Jesus, what you have done in our place. As we take this bread, we are thankful for your broken body on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. As our benediction today, from John 20, I read this in the message. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which I didn't record in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen? Amen. Have a great day in the Lord.